The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Hey there, I just wanted to kick off the show with a quick note that this episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by the inspiring team at Author Accelerator. There's never been a better time to get serious about that book idea that's been rattling around in your head. And working with an Author Accelerator book coach is the best way to write forward. Author Accelerator book coaches give writers feedback, deadlines, and step-by-step guidance while you write so that you can actually finish your book. Your book coach will give you the customized tools and blueprints to success that are so often lacking in the traditional publishing world. And if you think book coaching sounds like a gig you'd like to do, many authors and copywriters have the exact skill sets needed to become great book coaches themselves. Author Accelerator offers intensive book coach training and master classes so that you can help other writers reach their goals. Just head over to authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles for more info and to get a free seven-day writing challenge to start mapping out your own book. That's authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles. Do I sound like I'm coming in hot to you? No. Okay. Sounds good. I probably I procrastinate when it comes to taxes every year. Yeah. Okay. Who among um, us hasn't procrastinated right, um, uh pay, or like contesting a speeding ticket or right, yeah. having a you know a tooth that might be bothering mm-hmm. you looked at by a dentist because you might have a negative association <laughs> yeah, of just right. sitting in that chair or uh what uh talking to somebody who owes you money or Right, right. An awkward conversation. Yeah. There also there can be, you know, tasks where there isn't a very large reward. Ten tend to procrastinate on those. And also maybe if a reward is pays off too far in the future. So a real time dependent task. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's hard to kind of get motivation from that reward or knowledge of that reward. And so far yeah. in the future. Greetings and welcome back to the writer files. I am your host, Kelton Reed, and this week we return with a special edition of the show we call The Writer's Brain, a guest series with neuroscientist Michael Gribko. And in this episode, we're going to dig into the dreaded procrastination, a malady we all battle. What it is, how science looks at it, the difference between constructive and destructive procrastination, and some tips on how to overcome it. We're all guilty of it, let's be honest. Very normal to procrastinate. Who among us hasn't waited until the last minute to do something tedious or uncomfortable? Today, you're far more likely to grab your smartphone and search longingly for those little red notification flags from a social media app or to pop open a rainbow-colored game for that quick hit of dopamine your brain loves so much. 
I'm guilty of dusting and straightening every shelf and book in my office until they look conspicuously like modern art before I'll sit down to write an important email or a blog post. The truth is that procrastination is built into the human condition. Clearly, we can't do everything on our to-do list at the same time, but why has it become so frowned upon in our culture? And how can we reframe procrastination since we know it's so integral to the creative process? Luckily, research scientist Michael Gribko returned to the podcast to help me find some answers from the perspective of neuroscience. If you've missed previous episodes of The Writer's Brain, you can find them all in the show notes in the archives over at writerfiles.fm on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in. At part one of this file, Michael and I discussed the creative upside to present bias and delay, how neuroscience defines procrastination, why writers often struggle with the bad kind, how your brain's emotional stress and impulse responses can derail your productivity, why smartphones, shrinking attention spans, and social acceleration make it so hard to get meaningful work done, and helpful hints on how to get out of that wicked feedback loop and back on track. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs, head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. Okay, we are rolling once again on The Writer Files. Welcome back, Michael Gripko. Thanks for uh, sitting down here to do this today face-to-face in the studio. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, man, it's exciting. Well, we are back um, with the illustrious Gribs, and we are going to dig into procrastination. And I think we've been putting this off for several weeks. Uh, I think we we tried to sit down and and really... um, dig into this one but then we ended up having a couple of drinks and uh riffing on a completely different topic yes, we I, did <laughs> do you remember and we came up with a whole new yeah, episode yeah, yeah um i'm having trouble yes, now recalling did. what it was yeah like cognitive enhancement yeah yeah that's gonna be a good one um so we got a lot of uh good notes on that one but um yeah i think part of um you know interviewing writers kind of across the gamut from different disciplines you know I, I i typically ask them about procrastination and and um you know how they deal with it or if, if it's an issue for them um i know that uh you know a lot of a lot of writers do kind of lean into it you know it's part right. it's almost part of their process and uh i find it kind of fascinating it kind of dovetails with writer's block right yeah absolutely i think there's some overlap i want to dig into that because procrastination is uh has been kind of studied more more recently yep um i wrote a piece kind of digging into or trying to wrap my head around it for copy blogger titled why your procrastination might not be as bad as you think right um because you know i think what i started to discover even though i really did kind of want to vilify it in a sense was that you know there's always been an upside to procrastination 
that it has some you know cognitive benefits or it has benefits for creativity especially right but um i kicked off the piece with this quote by leonard bernstein to achieve great things two things are needed a plan and not quite enough time <laughs> um but you know i think we're all guilty of it in a sense um this is kind of the conclusion i came to was that you know there's a spectrum of procrastination that yes absolutely and yeah. then when it when it starts to bend you know there's like good there's a good procrastination that can be technically considered constructive right um, and i'm not sure if that's really procrastination but sure um i mean because we talked about like the importance of taking breaks we've talked about that before so absolutely yeah there's you know essentially procrastination has been considered you know since the beginning of written history it's been written about as a, like a positive thing actually um i'm referring to this great book by author uh frank partnoy weight the art of science and delay um he talks about how procrastination was looked at as useful and wise for much of history by scholars and that uh you know kind of that anti-procrastination movement was in the minority and it really didn't right. become a thing until the 70s when you know publishing was flooded with like self-help productivity yep. and efficiency manifestos um vilifying this this uh terrible thing but he said you know that iconic figures throughout history have been inveterate procrastinators from saint augustine to leonardo da vinci to duke Ellington, agatha christie quote he said like many of my colleagues and friends i tend to procrastinate to the extent i have creative breakthroughs he says something to the effect that it's not as often as he would like but it's because he put something off not because he met a deadline right right but uh i think it depends on how you define procrastination exactly if, it's, if there's positive aspects or negative um, I think generally in neuroscience and in psychology, procrastination is 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 a negative thing. And kind of the definition is that procrastination is a voluntary but irrational delay of pursuing a goal or um, some kind of task. Yeah. But as we talked about before, and you brought up, you know, in creativity, the importance of taking breaks, and sometimes that can be important to the creative process. But it's that in psychology, it's that irrational um, component to procrastination. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders, 
And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that part of it because really, you know, I guess if, if we're going to define procrastination in that respect, yeah, there is that sliding scale from helpful right. and harmless to destructive and self-defeating. And I think, yeah, we're talking about the bad type of pro- procrastination that can kind of move into the danger zone, right? Right, when you're missing deadlines or not completing important sure, tasks. Sure, sure. Prolonging doctor's appointments. Yeah, and these kinds of, that kind of procrastination, um, and we'll probably talk about this quite uh, quite a bit, it creates this feedback loop, right? Right. Of, uh, yeah. yeah, so we'll get into that, but you know, it's always been kind of, I think misattributed to like p- bad time management right. or laziness or even contempt, yes, yeah. but you know, it does start to cause the procrastinator to feel like guilt or shame or resentment. Yeah. And then it, and then it spirals, right? right? So essentially when we'll start to look at, I'm sure some of these, these studies in neuroscience, uh, I just wanted to, to quote, um, Tom Peachill, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, but he's that associate professor at Carleton University. And he said, um, procrastination is a voluntary delay of an intended act, despite the knowledge that this delay may harm us. So that's the type of procrastination we're talking about That's the irrational where you have the time and ability to work on something, but you divert your attention and energy to an unrelated matter. So so it's something that has to get done. Let's talk about (laughs) why we do this, because... I am guilty of it. I think you probably have experienced everyone, yeah. something like this. I think it's a. I think it's built into the human condition. Uh, we're kind of yeah, we are kind of hardwired to procrastinate for whatever reason. And you well, know. there's some. Yeah, I think there's some just adversiveness. Uh, something we don't enjoy doing. I probably I procrastinate when it comes to taxes every year. Yeah, right. who among um, us hasn't procrastinated? Right, um, uh, pay, or like contesting a speeding ticket or right, yeah. having a you know, a tooth that might be bothering you mm-hmm. looked at by a dentist because you might have a negative association yeah, of just right. sitting in that chair or, uh, what, uh, talking to somebody who owes you money or. Right. Right. An awkward conversation. Yeah. There also, there can be, you know, tasks where there isn't a very large reward we tend, tend to procrastinate on those. And also maybe if a reward is pays off too far in the future. So a real time dependent task. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's hard to kind of get motivation from that reward or knowledge of that reward and so far yeah. in the future. Well, I mean, certainly for writers, I think that could be a pretty important one, um, especially for anybody who's uh, sat down to write a book and you're staring yeah. at the blank page and you haven't written a single word of it. Um, that kind of feeling of like, oh, it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Get to the yeah. End? It's, yeah. Maybe I should. Is play. this worth it? Is all this effort worth it? So. Yeah. Maybe I should play. Uh, a crossword puzzle or <laughs> tune blast for a minute while I ponder how I'm going to get to the end. But that's a goal setting thing. And I think we could talk about that. And yeah, so let's get into it. Let's dig right. into the science of why we procrastinate and, and maybe some solutions. Yeah. Well, you brought up that it's only something that has 
recently started getting attention and being studied. And that's for good reason. It's 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 a very difficult topic to study. So there is, yeah, really not much information about the neurological activity that's associated with procrastination. And for one, you know, there really aren't any animal models to study this. I don't know how to even go about designing that experiment. You know, what does a mouse look like when it's procrastinating? Is it you know, playing on its wheel or something, running on a wheel when it should be, I don't know, beating up its brother. And, you know, what do you ask? How do you communicate this with a mouse? So that's kind of out of the question. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, man, cats, they probably procrastinate. So if you're going to have an animal, I mean, they sleep like 15 hours a day. Something that hmm. sleeps 15 hours a day, is probably, that's procrastination there, I think. But still, I don't know how to use that. That could, that could be I don't know how to, yeah, that could be that too. But I could wake up and just walk around the house a bit, you know, check for vermin. So anyway, yeah, so there really aren't any animal models we can use. So this moves us into humans and what we've talked about before, using something like an MRI and measuring their brain activity. And really, this is hard to do too. How do you get someone in an MRI while they're procrastinating, while they're mm-hmm. diverting their attention from one task to another task? If you put them in an MRI, then they can't do that other task either. <laughs> the tasks they're supposed to be working on. So um, it's hard to design an experiment around that. So the studies that are out there, and well, because of these troubles, this is why it's been, you know, kind of hasn't been studied much. It's just hard to design an experiment. But what has been done are a lot of um, just kind of questionnaires and self-reporting studies in psychology. And from these, we've gained some information on it. One, there's a link, there's a correlation between impulsivity and uh, procrastination. Hmm. Um, also, there's some evidence that it may be heritable, so heritable, hmm. um, which is interesting. And the kind of picture that is emerging is procrastination is sort of this inability to self-regulate because an individual is prioritizing short-term emotional regulation over kind of achieving long-term goals. Yeah. And so there is some evidence now to support this. There was an MRI study done just last year. Again, it was, it's hard to, you know, study procrastination using an MRI. Um, but what these researchers did, um, publication is called the Structural and Functional Signature of Action Control. And they kind of came up with a questionnaire, some scenarios, and based on the answers, the subjects could give um, or choose from. They had to choose answers. It would um, sort of indicate if that individual was emotional-oriented in decision-making or more of kind of action-oriented or using more higher cognitive skills. Right, right, right. So from this study, they found the action-oriented decision-making have lower amygdala volume and individuals that are more Emotional oriented into their decision making, having higher amygdala volume, and this is important because the amygdala is part of this emotional center in our brain, um, and it's also has a lot of influence over our stress response. So, higher amygdala volume is generally associated with um, inability to manage stress well and aggressive behavior. Hmm. So, this is pretty interesting, and this could help shed some light on basic procrastination and what it is. What are the underlying mechanisms? Um, so I want to go back and kind of talk about our last episode um, when we were comparing and contrasting 
creativity and productivity. And one of the areas we talked about then was the prefrontal cortex. So this is a really important area of the brain involved in orchestrating our thoughts to achieve a goal and to keep us focused and to assess our progress, um, sort of things like as we're progressing, are the outcomes meeting our expectations? During procrastination, I think we really need to consider this area of the brain, the frontal cortex, as being kind of taken offline. Hmm. And this study that I was recently that I was talking about, the structural and functional signature of action control, kind of suggests that this could happen. So stress, you know, we were showing these people that are emotionally oriented in their decision making, which is characteristic of our model for procrastination. So these people maybe um, have poor stress control. Hmm. And stress can impair the prefrontal cortex. And other studies have shown this. So this impairment of the prefrontal cortex can lead to poor cognitive function and these higher decision-making um, cognitive functions. So activity in the amygdala can release, cause the release of neurotransmitters such as noradrenaline from the brainstem. This in turn... Uh, affects the activity in the prefrontal cortex and sort of downregulates function. So this is really not a surprising phenomenon where these higher cognitive functions are sort of taken offline hmm. during stressful events, right? If you can think in a real world context, say, you know, you have an author, he goes out to Yellowstone to get away from things and be able to concentrate and write his novel. And he's working away and something looks up and realizes you know, there's a bear showing interest in him. Whoa. <laughs> right? I mean, so, yeah, you're going to have this stress response. You don't want to be sitting there thinking about the next chapter of the book you're writing. Interesting. So, it makes sense. The amygdala gets activated. Um, you get this big stress response. Those higher cognitive functions are sort of taking um, offline, and you react more impulsively, which is what you want to do in a dangerous situation, right? You don't want to be trying to think of every possible scenario this bear could attack you and all these different ways to combat it, mm -hmm. you really have to act impulsively. You just don't have the time. So this kind of, all these things blend together, the stress, the impulsivity, and procrastination. Yeah. And then there's also interesting, I, I started to think about also the energy demands of our brain too. So these higher cortical areas, like the prefrontal cortex, also suck up a lot of energy when they're so that's an interesting way to think about it. your brain is going to shut down these areas that are kind of burning through energy and divert that to other more important areas for survival. That's really interesting. So, but I think the, you know, the interesting thing to ask now is why do people have this kind of response in situations where there's not a bear attacking them? Mm -hmm. So this procrastination where we're not stressed out or, or maybe there's some, you know, there's not an immediate threat but still we're kind of behaving in a way that there is. Sure. So we are procrastinating and being impulsive. Yeah. Well, I, I find it interesting that, um, I mean, that, that from a layman's perspective, um, there's, and I'll link to this great piece by Susanna Locke titled, uh, why your brain loves procrastination. And then, and she did get into Tom Pichol's research and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just quote what she said here. You know, psychologists have discovered that it may have more to do with how our brains and emotions work, right? This is what you're getting at. Right. And they've realized it appears to be a coping mechanism. Right. Is that what we're saying? And so when people procrastinate, they're avoiding emotionally unpleasant tasks and instead doing something that provides a temporary mood boost. Yeah. And this makes it. sense. Right. But on a, from an unconscious standpoint, right, 
that's that could be the that could be the destructive type of procrastination if you don't realize that that you're doing it right um and if you're doing that a lot then yeah there's there could be a larger underlying problem maybe you're sure um, it comes back to that, yeah, that an anxiety issue or depression issue. Yeah, that vicious cycle right. that she's talking about there. But yeah, and it, and of course, uh, you know, I, I I know we're not going to discuss the depression piece here, but it has been linked to depre- like chronic right. procrastination, which we're not talking about here, which could be a a problem that you know you need to have diagnosed by a professional. Absolutely. Um, if right. you're listening and you have and you are having depression and. And anxiety, uh, and be anxiety. Another, you yeah. you should pro- probably yes, absolutely um, consult a professional about that type of uh, procrastination. But we are not talking about chronic procrastination or the, uh, that link to depression. Here we're we're just talking about kind of the science behind why we do it. Yeah, why we delay these inevitable tasks. Yeah, I came to a conclusion just kind of running running through this research, and you know, I found an article in science news about the abundance of information narrowing our collective attention span. And I, I find an interesting correlation there because this researcher at uh, the Max Planck Institute for Human Development said, you know, content increasing, which exhausts our attention and urge for newness causes a collective, uh, causes us to collectively switch between topics more more rapidly. So our, our collective attention span is shrinking. We have more access to more information. So, we're constantly wanting that newness. Mm-hmm. And again, we're, we're looking for that hidden dopamine. We've all right, got this smartphone, this, this smartphone yeah. in our, in our pockets. It's all these things. It offers all this novelty. It does, it, you know, it offers entertainment. It offers information and offer, you know, unfortunately it's all right there at your fingertips. Right. Um, but with that shrinking, uh, you know, collective attention span and this kind of social acceleration of, of uh, the present moment, it's like, I, you know, I feel like many of us are not accomplishing maybe as much as we would like to. Right. And again, that yeah. can kind of snowball into this kind of feeling guilty or feeling shame. And then, uh, you know, perpetuates. Yeah, the multitasking is, is you can a problem. Be, yeah. It's, it's, you, and, um, and then that's when you can kind of get into the negative self-talk where you're right. like, and we'll talk, I'm sure a little bit about that, but you know, where you can kind of beat yourself up. Um, but yeah, let's talk about kind of the, the weird thing that, that the brain does about kind of this awareness of the future or, you know, how we maybe think of ourselves as a different person, which is, I thought of, I found interesting in some other, uh, research, there was this weird notion that, um, Hal Hirschfeld and he's an assistant professor at NYU's Stern School of Business theorists talk about this idea that on a psychological emotional level, we consider that future version of ourselves as another person. So basically, and you may have touched on this, but we kind of have this time shifted sense of self where we do something in the present to get again, to get that warm fuzzy right? without the uh, realization that whatever we're doing is, is affecting our future self, right. but we'll let our future self deal with the repercussions of the procrastination. In other right. words, it can be goals that are too far in the future that can lend to procrastination because we just don't, I, this kind of gets to it. We're not getting that immediate reward. And yeah. without that immediate reward, although we will still get the reward in the future, it doesn't have the same effect, same motivational effect and that we need to accomplish a task. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes we have a 
hard time realizing that those future rewards will still benefit us, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some good ways to deal with that too, though. And procrastination in general. Yeah. Let's get into it. So I think for something like that, with these large projects and kind of breaking it down into manageable chunks. And we talked about this, I think in, in writer's block a bit too, Mm -hmm. about accepting the short-term rewards and the short-term goals. So this final reward may just be too far in the future for us to gain motivation from it. Um, therefore, kind of hitting milestones along the way will give us that, as you said, like a shot of dopamine and give us a sense of reward or accomplishment. This will help keep us going and, and sort of keep our spirits up, right? Yeah. And there's an actual, we know the neurological activity. There's a lot of evidence that shows this and we need to keep this kind of positive reward loop going in our brains. Yeah. So yeah, putting in the manageable chunks, just getting to that milestone will give us that little hit of dopamine and may help us persevere and um, push through. So in my job, there are some aspects like project management aspects. So I've kind of taken some online courses and just to help out with things in my workspace, these can help out in our personal lives too. And that was like one of these courses I took the woman, you mentioned, oh, you know, try some of these out at home and a home project. So they don't just have to be for work, but having a plan in place, I think helps a lot. And also it gives you a kind of a realistic sense of what you're in for, mm-hmm. um, what to expect, just how much work has to go into something because that can be kind of off putting when you're working on something else and you realize it's more monumental of a task than you were anticipating. So that may lead to procrastination. Um, yeah. I also think it's really important to prepare for setbacks um, and negative feedback uh, so they don't surprise us because that can be detrimental or this can act in contrast to um, those rewards we're getting along the way. And they can kind of undo the positive impact of that. There's another circuitry involved. This kind of adversive circuitry. But yeah, so part of project management is anticipating and preparing for risk. So I can imagine probably a good example is a writer I don't know if it happens too often where a writer will come in, give a manuscript to an editor, and the editor's like, oh, this is great. You're just going to send it to the press <laughs> right now. Yeah. Right. Most likely, you're going to get some negative feedback or some criticism on it. Yeah. And there'll be several iterations that you go through before it's published. So know this when you're getting into the project and anticipate um, some negative feedback and some hurdles along the way. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of the Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm, where we also humbly ask you to support the show with a secure donation to help us keep going. Just click the little yellow PayPal donate button over at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. And thank you.